0: Hello, this is Gerard Fox, and this is the podcast The Verdict Is In. Today, we have a top immigration attorney, and uh, this is a big deal. And immigration law is something that a lot of people don't know about. I happen to have as a guest, Raul Ogaha, and she is amazing. You're going to get to hear from her. Uh, Raul received her J.D., meaning her law degree, from Howard University School of Law. That's in D.C. Having gone to Georgetown, I have a lot of friends from Howard Uh, and her master's of uh, summa cum laude in international human rights law. She was a very bright student and she received that from American University, Washington College of Law, both in Washington, D.C. She also received a dual bachelor's degree in history and psychology, magna cum laude, from Eastern Mennonite University in Virginia. And while attending Howard University as a merit scholarship recipient, Rao received Cali awards for academic excellence in several courses, including comparative law, international law of human rights, and international economic law. Eager to offer her legal expertise, Raul served as a student attorney in the Fair Housing Clinic, a, all right, where she represented impoverished D.C. residents. We're going to have to compare our notes one day, Raul. I represented uh, um, tenants in court during Georgetown in a clinic called D.C. Uh, law Students in Court.
1: Oh, I know that clinic.
0: Yes, it was a great experience and very eye-opening. She expanded okay. her body of work in the legal field by becoming a member of the International Moot Court Team, participating in the dm Har- Harish International Moot Court Competition in mumbai in India, where her team won the Best Advocates Award. Congratulations. Thank you. As a law student, Rao also interned with several law firms in Washington and gained extensive experience in immigration law and civil litigation. Now, This is a very accomplished individual. Rao, do you speak a, a couple different languages?
1: Yes, yeah, so I speak Igbo in addition to English. Igbo is, um, is a language from Nigeria.
0: Yes, well, that's... That's always helpful. You know, we built our firm. I think our firm speaks about 20 different languages. Wow. Very important in this world. So let me ask you a question to start out. How has COVID-19 impacted your clients who want to immigrate and become naturalized citizens or to get a visa, work visa, or to participate in the EB-5 programs? How has COVID-19 impacted that?
1: Well, there have been a number of policies, immigration policies that have gone into place ever since COVID hit, I, I would say. And I think, I believe that a lot of those policies were geared towards limiting the amount of immigrants that enter the United States and to the current administrations so when those policies are justified based on the fact that, you know, U- U.S. citizens don't have, you know, have limited opportunities to jobs due to COVID and that, you know, immigrants are stealing these U.S. jobs. So th- a lot of those policies are based on that presumption. Now, um, as you know, the embassies have been closed since COVID hit in March. So a lot of cases are, you know, basically hanging on the tread. And so a lot of my practice is, is based on family immigration. So I just want to touch on that because these families have been separate and these families have been you know, kept apart due to COVID. So I think that, that is one of the most heart-wrenching impacts that COVID has had in, on immigration and on immigrant families.
0: Yeah, I can see how... You know, waiting uh, to join someone who's already over here or just starting the process and having it so uh, delayed is is depressing. Now, besides COVID-19, what has been your biggest hurdle in this field of late?
1: Of late, I would say is ever-changing immigration policies. The current administration has been very... I would just say they've been very active in implementing policies, and there's been a lot of litigation. And there was a joke that was just made on social media the other day about being an immigration under the current being an immigrant attorney under the current administration, and you know it's just basically a roller coaster. And it was it was a picture a drawing of some an attorney on a roller coaster. And I'll give you an example, right? So on August second, twenty twenty, there was an announcement that the fees were going to be increased on October second, and one of the one of the fees, immigrant fees that were going to be most impactful was the the fee to naturalize, which was going to increase by almost 80%. And of course, we we're in litigation. And as of last night, well, a lot of immigration attorneys were getting ready to file applications to meet deadlines. We got a decision from the U.S. District Court in Northern California saying that the, you know, U.S. the, the USCIS increased fee fees were are now being enjoined. So we can relax. But you see, that's how quickly these decisions have been made. And with immigration policy, like for example, the administration announces something, we sue, it gets enjoined, and then it gets, you know, there's a play on it. This was like every day there's something. So it's like being in a roller coaster right now.
0: I have clients and I represented clients involved in the EB-5 program. I had a series of clients from China who were uh, swindled out of their money. It's a very public case, uh, uh, with the former governor of Virginia. And I also have a client now looking to bring his family into this country from South America, and he is looking at the EB-5 option. Maybe you could explain that to the audience. What is EB-5?
1: Well, EB-5, for those people who don't know what the EB-5 program is, basically it's an investor visa program and it states like, you know, it allows immigrants to invest a certain amount of money in a business in the U.S. to enable them, you know, live in the U.S. and with them and their family. And this investment depends vastly on what kind of business you're looking to invest in and where you're kind of trying to invest. And that's what determines the minimum. The minimum right now for rural areas, areas is $900,000. So you'd have to invest that. And, you know, it's $900,000, but typically in my practice, you, you really want to go at least a million dollars in order to, for, your, for your application to be more solid. And, you know, what the goal is, is that you're creating jobs in the United States and by investing in a business. I don't think that summarizes that properly enough.
0: You know, the strategy with this client is obviously realizing that, you know, natural immigration is very slow because of the present administration and because of COVID 19. And it takes far longer uh, to come on a work visa and get it. You know, we had an attorney at our firm we loved who was from Israel and her work visa was not continued. So you see a lot of workers who are here on work visas not having it continued. And so the idea is maybe if you have the money, and very few people do, to invest in an EB-5 approved program uh, where you uh, would get to come over on an EB-5 visa, and that would give you the time to put your natural immigration process, get it started and go through the bumps, the roller coaster, the delay. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that kind of money, basically it sounds like you just are stuck. Is that correct?
1: Yes. You know, there are certain countries that have an option that beyond the EB5 and countries like United Kingdom that can apply for under the E2 treaty and invest under in the E2 treaty. That requirement is we Below the EB five requirement, but other than that, you were pretty much out of you know out of luck.
0: Let's slow down and take the, the steps of immigration because a lot of people listening to this podcast are you know listening to lawyers and trying to understand bodies of law. So take us through the normal immigration process without you know getting into the timing of it. What are the steps? What do you have to file first these days? What happens next? You know, you know I know there's a test, etc.
1: Well, it depends on how you intend to immigrate, right? So you can immigrate by family, you can immigrate via employment, you can immigrate by self-petitioning, you can also immigrate by applying for asylum, or like we just spoke about, by investing. So there are various types of various avenues um, to immigrate. But if you're within the United States and you're in legal status and you're looking to immigrate, the first step would be to file a petition with the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And then when once that petition is approved, then your next step would be to adjust your status. If you're already in status and you qualify to adjust your status at the same time your petition is filed, then that's a bonus because you get to do that at the same time. And if you're outside the U.S., then you have to go, you know, first of all, file an application, and then have to consult the process, which which means going to an interview at the local U.S. embassy.
0: And if the embassy is closed, then you can't go for that interview.
1: Exactly. And you're just out of luck.
0: Yes. And so when you go for an interview, you fill out paperwork. I assume there's a background search done on the individual applying. Is that correct?
1: Right. Definitely. There's a background check. And uh, in the U.S., a lot of you know people don't know this, but because um, I have clients who you know, don't understand that there really is a, you know, the U.S. consulates maintain a strong record. And so and so does USCIS. And so even if you're processing from outside or inside, those records will be shared between those two entities.
0: Yes. And so having a criminal record or having some type of terror, supposed or actual or claimed terrorist affiliation, those types of things would be impediments to immigration. Is that correct?
1: Definitely, definitely. I mean, certain crimes, there are waivers for certain crimes, but for the most part, you know, having a crime, it's it's very detrimental to your application.
0: Let me ask you another question. I hear regularly, I'm not an immigration lawyer, about the dreamers. And the dreamers are a reference to certain immigrants that are in the U.S. And I think the general consensus is a lot of people think they should be given their citizenship. Who are the dreamers and what is that
1: debate about? Well, the DREAMers is basically referred to, you know, individuals who qualify under DACA. Now, DACA is, is, means the fed Action for Childhood Arrivals. And, you know, the DREAMers are basically, you know, I don't like to use this term, but aliens, as, as the USCIS calls them, but children of um, immigrants who entered the United States before a certain age, basically as kids with their parents and entered you know, without proper inspection. So basically, these this children believe that because it wasn't their, you know, they wasn't their doing to be here. This, this is the, the U.S. the only country they know. This is where they grew up. They should be given the opportunity to, to adjust their status here and, and have legal status in the U.S.
0: Now, how have things changed? I go to a family reunion several times a year uh, in New York. My, my family immigrated from Ireland,
1: Really? When see
0: these pic- yes. When I see these pictures, my grandmother came over on a boat, stopped off at the Statue of Liberty,
1: wow. uh,
0: and then then came into what was a very different New York City. What was the immigration process at that time?
1: Uh, I believe, uh, based on my research, you know, as you know, I wasn't alive then. <laughs> yes, but, yes, but, of um, course. but based on my research, the immigration process were it had less hurdles. You know, you basically completed an application, proved that you were hardworking. It was more reception to immigrants at that time than there is now.
0: Yes. And when do you think the shift occurred where the United States started to become more concerned with closed borders and tightening up immigration?
1: I think that it was a result of two things. Um, and and I'm, I'm commenting socially here because, as you know, immigration is one thing, one aspect that is heavily impacted by politics and social change. And, you know, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is, is one of the departments that is very heavily impacted by, you know, the administration, as opposed to other governmental entities. But to answer your question... I think, you know, it became as a as a result of fear. There are a lot of immigrants, as you know, who came from countries, border countries like Mexico, and they became an increased fear that these immigrants were threatening the jobs of, of U.S. citizens. Um, I think that that's when the shift changed. Like, we need to have stronger borders and we need to preserve these jobs for U.S. citizens. So I think that that is the feeling, so to speak, that influenced immigration being such a major issue as it is now, today?
0: Yeah, to me, immigration policy, and I'm a person who cares about the inner city. I care about poor people and homeless people. I write about this all the time. I, um, I am not um, political. I try not to be. Immigration, to me, always seems like a very complex issue because, number one, you have a set of rules. Whoever determines, and you've just explained how long and tedious the process can be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for lack of a better word, you know, some people get upset. I've listened to my um, constituents who've immigrated from other countries through the proper formal process. Some of them get upset when some people can, you know, I'm not using this in a per, uh, pejorative way, cut the line. Mm-hmm. In other words, climb over a wall, enter the country. And skip the rules that others are subject to, and then there's the reality that some people are leaving very difficult situations, exactly, oppressive situations. You know, they're putting their lives at
1: risk to come here, and you, you know, you have uh, economies
0: that are strong, economies that are weak. People worried about their jobs. The media that politicizes everything uh, will depict certain immigrants as a danger versus others. Uh, at any given time, that just seems to swirl into a very complicated cocktail of issues you have to consider. Right. What are some of the current challenges being faced by by people like you because of President Trump's immigration policies? It's known to everybody that he, you know, he, he's building a very big wall. He doesn't want people in this country unless they abide by formal immigration policy as set by his administration. What are the challenges that you face as a result of that?
1: To go to your previous before I get to President Trump's you know policy, so to speak, I want to talk about get, you know, address the previous point you made, which is it's such a concise point because and it's so relevant to to the way that we feel as immigration attorneys as advocates in the field because a lot of people don't really understand. It's such a complex thing to understand. Like On one hand, you know, why should anyone cut the line? And On the other hand, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. So there's there's a very high level of empathy that is required in order to be an immigration advocate, because you have to understand that not everybody has the privilege to actually stand in line. Stand in line means getting killed. Stand in line means means losing their entire family. And, you know, there's various images of of, you see these parents who swim, far swim miles and miles and miles just to get their kids across and they, they themselves don't even make it um so you know while a lot of us were privileged to have parents who came here on a plane and were able to legally adjust and and, and do things right from the beginning so people don't even know how to do things legally all they're thinking about is how do I survive how do I get my family in a place where they don't they don't have to you know look over their shoulders for the rest of their lives and so um I just want to speak to that point that you have to be You know, you have to really come down from a high horse of privilege in order to understand that. You know the, that survival instinct is the one thing that we have in com- in common as human beings. And if you understand that, you understand why a lot of immigrants do what they have to do. Now, I'm not saying that I support crime um in any way, but I just think that as as a as a human race, we need to we need to be empathetic to the plight of, of others. And and if we have that insight, then we we'll understand why they want to immigrate and do the things that they. They do. And it's not an intention, then they're not trying to take anyone's place. They're just trying to, you know, create the path for themselves and their family. They're safe. So having said that.
0: Well, let me let me just stop right there for a second. What a what a fantastic answer, Raul, and so important. And I I was glad that you got that all out there because you know what happens for people in a privileged company country like the United States is that some people travel only to the you know the nicest cities and the nicest hotels in Europe and South America and Russia etc and um, but there are so many oppressed regions in this world that people don't even know about right and that people are fleeing from either because they're being persecuted because of their religion or because they don't want to give in to a drug regime or you know they're they're on a death march out of one country. Uh, into another, and you know, the, the, you hear the stories of Cubans jumping into uh, life rafts that uh, don't even make it across uh, to Florida. You hear about um, young children, you know, two years old, one years old, being carried over parents' backs to try to make it in this country from Mexico. They're not just coming from Mexico; they're coming from you know places where they're being tortured in other countries in South America.
1: Exactly. So
0: you know, you have to have compassion and in applying any type of law in any civilization. Mm-hmm. And once you lose that compassion, and become isolated, it's a very dangerous thing. So I applaud you for your answer.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It comes from a place of experience because my parents are Nigerian. And uh, even though I was born in D.C., they made it a very important part of my life that I, I grew, you know, spent a substantial amount of my childhood in Nigeria. So I think you know, spending those years in Nigeria just you know cause me to really appreciate the other side of things. And I think that that really contributes to to why I do this work today. Um, but to answer your question about President Trump, you know, he has made it clear, he made it clear from, from when he decided to run um, that he thinks that illegal immigrants are criminals um and that you know this shouldn't be happening. But I, I find it and I, I dare to say that I kind of find it amusing because um he, you know his wife's an immigrant. And he's been known to be associated with a lot of immigrants, and you know, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of that situation that we have now. That a lot of people, after after they benefit from certain you know immigration, certain aspects of the immigration, then they you know they want to they want to stop after they've passed. Kind of thing. Now. His policies, one thing that we've experienced as immigration attorneys, I mean, any immigration attorney with their hand on the pulse will tell you that our jobs have become so much difficult under the current administration because there's so many executive orders, so much litigation. It's like every day you wake up, you have to kind of check to see what's going on today. You know, because it's it's there's so many changes and it's a, it's like a revolving door. Um, one of the most, I think, one of the biggest challenges that he's he's created is, is the travel ban, um, which he started in 2018, I believe. And as you know, earlier this year in February, he added seven more countries, including Nigeria, to to the travel ban, basically stopping all immigration from those countries. And that has been a great challenge, even though. there's a waiver available. There's no guidance on the waiver. um, And there's limited precedence as to how these waivers are actually going to be treated. Now, I've been able to get a lot of my clients here using those waivers, but it's been an uphill battle. And there isn't isn't any rhyme or reason as to why these countries are being placed on the ban, on the ban list, so to speak.
0: Yes, well, the COVID-19 situation, and I could be wrong about this, but I think there's many countries uh, not all, but I think there's countries in Europe. Uh, you know, I, I hear these announcements; they they get pinged on my phone. But are there a number of countries that are putting bans out because of COVID
1: 19?
0: That's unfortunate, but it's also one of those other very complicated issues. And uh, New York um, is quarantining people from California for two weeks. I think they've just stopped, uh, and I think there's. Measures that you can have that are a compromise to a complete ban, but that's a topic for another day. Right. First of all, it's very important. How do people get in touch with you if they want to call you and hire you?
1: Well, you can contact my office at uh, 713-234-1100. You can also reach, reach us via our website at www.ralobiohalaw.com.
0: And that's O-B-I-O-H-A. Correct. Correct. And you you deal with clients from all over the world, correct?
1: All over the world.
0: You seem like you're a very earnest and steadfast um, uh, fighter for their rights, which I really appreciate. But I want the listening audience to realize that, look, this is an immigration lawyer who understands the fight, understands the battle, understands uh, the pressure, pushing people out of one country into another and is empathetic. And I really took my hat to you for that. Thank you. Now you also serve as the executive director of Civil Resource Development and Documentation. Yes. So Stanner, can you tell me more about
1: that? Right. So SERDOC in short form, is an NGO um, based in Eastern Nigeria. It's actually an NGO that was formed by my mother in in nineteen ninety seven, and it's an NGO that is uh, based. It basically promotes the rights, w- women's rights, as well as you know women. Uh, widows specifically, and girls who have been subject to FGM, which is female genital mutilation. So our goal is is really to support these women and to, to you know, use funds that um, to create programs and to educate the less fortunate about certain practices and to protect the women and the widows and, and these young girls.
0: That is so necessary and, you know, uh, blessings to you for what you do. The last point I want to make is how if you're an immigrant coming into the United States, and I saw this in one of my EV5 cases, you know, you have to be wary. And I know you uh, agree with me, Raul. There was a case where a former governor of Virginia, uh, the brother of a former, very high up person in, in politics, worked for the Chinese businessman to start what was supposed to be an electric car company in Mississippi. There was a scam, they intended to move all the assets back to China, and they took in all this money from these people who wanted to immigrate. Now, you know, even if you have the money, you know, in the upper class, so to speak, and someone's collecting your 500,000, you know, they're coming around in the dog and pony show in your neighborhood or your city. Uh, It turned out that the documents that they gave them that uh, tried to protect the parties that were committing the fraud were written in English, and we're, you know, people have great pride; they don't want to admit they don't understand English. No one knew what they were investing in. Mm-hmm. No one knew what what releases they were providing. And I found it rather ironic: the United States was begging people to invest in their economy and to provide jobs, but there is no uh, recourse yet for people who are swindled.
1: Exactly.
0: It's not like if I'm swindled out of my money, that the government goes and gets it back for me and gives me my visa that I was supposed to get. They leave you sitting out in left field. Right. So it's really important, and I think you would agree with me on this, if you're going to call an immigration lawyer, uh, that you you do call an immigration lawyer, that you don't get sucked into, and your own immigration lawyer. Sadly, and I think you agree well, there are some immigration lawyers in this country, and some of them have been pr- prosecuted for it, but some should still be, that got tied up in these scandals. Yes. And uh, so you want to, don't just because you're in another country and some friend says to you, I'm using this immigration lawyer, do your own research and find your way, I would say, to Raul, because Raul is the person, Raul is there, she, she knows she'll protect you and has as the you know when you hear a person's working at a uh, civil resource development and documentation center when you hear her impassioned uh, discussion about how people have exigencies that push them forward that where they're looking for safety those are the people that you want to work with those are the lawyers i present on the show because they care about it. And there are, you know, just like I said, they are bad litigators who overcharge and don't care and take all your money and leave you uh, destitute uh, and corporate lawyers who don't read the deal. They're asking you to sign. And there's also immigration lawyers who will be part of a scam to steal your money.
1: It is important.
0: This show is introducing everybody to the lawyers who care.
1: Thank you. And
0: Raul it is, yeah, it is my honor to have you on the show. Thank you. I hope uh, everyone will call you up and, uh, You're a person to admire. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jared. Um, Before we go, do you mind if I speak quickly about the public charge rule, which is a very important rule under the current administration that I think people want to know about?
0: Oh, absolutely. So
1: so in February, the public charge rule went into place. And what this public charge rule does, it's, it's basically aims to, you know, Put like a microscope on every immigrant. So, prior to the public charge rule, when you're trying to immigrate to the United States, the US just wants to know that you have someone who can sponsor you, either the person who is petitioning for you or an independent sponsor who can take care of you if you need to, to ensure that you don't use US public benefits. But what this public charge rule does is that it makes that previous factor not the only factor, but it makes it one of seven factors. So, now we're looking at age, health, family status, assets, education, as well as admission for this immigrant. But what they don't realize is that, you know, it's discriminatory because what it does is, you know, it kind of sidelines a lot of older immigrants who are just looking to be with their children, um, be with their grandchildren. And it sidelines a lot of immigrants who you know, are older and are unable to attain health insurance. So this rule went into, play, into place in February 2020. I think, I believe, February 24th, I, I believe, of 2020. And since then, it's been in the court. At some point, it was enjoined. And just as recent as last week, um, the injunction was lifted. And so it's a, it's a very important, I think it's going to be one of the most uh, notorious policies that were put into place by President Trump, because it really changes the game for immigrants. And it really, you know, Puts a microscope on their lives and instead of that, that of just their sponsors, if that makes sense.
0: yes, and and can you state the name of that rule again so everyone can understand what the rule is?
1: It's called the public charge rule.
0: The public charge rule. Okay, well, again, a reason you know one thousand for you to pick up the phone and call Raul about your immigration issue, because there are pitfalls and problems and changes. There's that roller coaster. Yes. So who gets to tell you, there's a dip coming. Watch out. Right. That's the lawyer that won by your side. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.